0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the Chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au.
1: a seat, everybody. For those who haven't met, my name's Phoebe. I would love to meet you afterwards. Um, Our entire church is working our way through the Book of Acts. The entire Chapel Collective is doing that, but we, in the 8.30, we like to Get a little bit more in depth. So, we're doing a much longer course through Acts, and we're going to jump in right where we left off last week. We are up to Acts 10 and 11. Now, these chapters of Acts describe some slightly strange events, but they bear significant importance for where the early church was at at this point in approximately AD 37. We hear about a guy called Cornelius, who Pastor Braun briefly introduced us to last week. We hear about a vision that Peter has that involves a whole bunch of animals frolicking around in a floating bedsheet, And we see this interaction between Peter and Cornelius and the impact that that interaction will have on early church doctrine. And then we see the response of the early church. Now, the events might seem strange and unusual. They, they read pretty strange and unusual, but they also reflect where the early Christians were at this point seven years after Jesus' death and resurrection. The term Christian hasn't even been mentioned yet so these early jewish christians still think of them as think of themselves as jewish but jews in christ as god's chosen nation called to be set apart so when these verses talk about being ceremonially clean versus unclean this is actually a huge deal for them and it forms a major part of their culture and what they've always known about obeying god as god's chosen nation called to be set apart and the events that follow here are really important for them so let's start with Cornelius. So we kick off in chapter 10 verses 1 to 3. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. He and all his family were devout and god-fearing, god-fearing, not god-feeling, god-fearing and he gave generously to all those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius is an officer in the Roman army, he's in charge of about 100 soldiers. Now, as far as the Jewish people are concerned, the Romans are the occupiers, the oppressors. But Cornelius is God-fearing. He's not a Jewish convert, but he's God-fearing and he's already praying to God. God's at work in his heart and he gives regularly. And Cornelius has a vision of an angel and the angel says to him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner. Cornelius immediately obeys and sends his servants to find Peter. Now, the mention of Simon the Tanner here is our first clue that this passage is going to challenge the concept of maintaining ceremonial cleanliness in this new religion of Christianity. A tanner is someone who treats animal skins and works with leather, and all the vegans in the room shuddered. So did the first century Jews, because under the Jewish law, handling of dead animals would render tanners and the entire profession ceremonially unclean. In the law in Leviticus 11 it says everything which any part of the carcass falls on shall be unclean they are unclean and shall remain unclean for you and so the fact that Peter was willing to stay with Simon the tanner is significant as we lead into a chapter that breaks down what is what God is about to do in terms of labeling things clean versus unclean just like Jesus Peter has fellowship with outcasts people who are Jewish but on the fringe of society people who are considered unholy But before we look at these events from Peter's perspective, let's just remind ourselves of who Peter is and where he fits in in the early church. So Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and before Jesus called him, he was a Jewish fisherman. He was of low social, low economic, and low educational standing. He wasn't educated like Paul, and in fact, in many ways, Peter is the polar opposite of Paul. It makes my heart so warm to see in the Bible how God uses people at the opposite ends of the personality spectrum but he uses them equally powerfully for his kingdom. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples and one of the inner sanctum of Jesus' three closest friends. He's known for being this hothead, this sort of acts before thinking kind of guy. He denied Jesus three times. Yet after all this, Jesus said that Peter was the rock on which he will build his church. And the events in today's passage are recorded in Acts 10, but Peter gives an account of them to the early church in Acts 11. He describes how he went up on the roof to pray and this is what happens next. He says, In a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds. He essentially describes a whole bunch of non-kosher animals. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. The vision happened three times. When you think you've heard a word from God, it is okay to pause and clarify because God is patient and generous. In fact, when we think we hear a word from God, we should pause and clarify. We should test every word against scripture. It is a biblical principle. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So test every word you receive, but keep a soft and open heart that's willing to learn. The Bible is full of examples of God being patient with us, repeating his promises to us until we finally get it. He repeated his promise of children to Abraham repeatedly over a 25-year period. He allowed Gideon to ask for a miraculous sign. He granted that miraculous sign. And then if that's not enough, he repeated that miraculous sign. So God takes hot-headed, impatient Peter who denied Jesus three times, and he has the patience to teach him in three repetitions to help him grow to this point where he's willing to learn, willing to listen, and willing to obey. And at this point, the servants of Cornelius arrive looking for Peter, and Peter describes how the Spirit speaks to him and reassures him that he should go with them and meet Cornelius, the Roman officer. Peter travels with them to Caesarea. Cornelius has called together all his friends and family and all his relatives. There's this large gathering of people all waiting for Peter. Cornelius doesn't even know what Peter's gonna say at this point, but he's gathered everyone because he knows it will be important. Now, prior to this, a strict Jew would under no circumstances be able to associate with a Gentile, much less enter their home and have fellowship with them. And when the believers in Jerusalem hear about what Peter's done, they criticise him. Interestingly, the Torah, the Jewish law, doesn't specifically forbid association between Jews and Gentiles. The Old Testament does discuss avoiding intermarriage between cultures and talks about the Jews fiercely protecting their faith, fiercely protecting their purity, fiercely protecting being set apart. In Judges 2, it says, do not make a covenant with the people of this land. Ezra 9 criticises the people of Israel for mingling their culture with those around them. So the Israelites are called to be set apart and to keep their hearts pure, but the association is not strictly forbidden. But in this instance, the first century Pharisees in their legalism had twisted the heart of the law, which was to maintain a heart of purity and a heart that was set apart for God. And they twisted it into this thing of elitism and exclusion. Like with the Sabbath, they twisted something that was supposed to be pure and good and made it about ritual, made it about legalism. And if we're not careful... We can be at risk of doing this too. You know, as a church, we meet together out of love for Christ and love of the bride of Christ, not out of a sense of legalism, not out of a sense of ritual, or not out of fear that God's going to be angry with me if I don't. We are all here because we are all broken. We are all fallen sinners saved solely by God's grace. Yet, after a time, we can find our minds twisting the truth to believe that we have to get our act together enough put on a holy facade and hide our real struggles before we can come into God's presence. So this is the cultural paradigm that Peter's living in. His culture has taught him that he mustn't associate with Cornelius and that to enter his home would render himself unclean. It's interesting that he's happy to stay with Simon the Tanner who though Jewish is considered unclean. Yet so great was the divide between Jews and Gentiles at this point that even though he's happy to stay with Simon the Tanner who is unclean, he hesitates at entering the home of this Gentile who fears God, prays and gives to the poor. But because of the word that Peter received from God, he enters Cornelius' home. He eats with him, his friends and relations. They share with each other the vision that God gave them. Then Peter shares the gospel with all of those gathered and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They speak in tongues. They praise God and they're all baptised. When the rest of the early Christians hears about Peter fraternising with these unclean Gentiles, they're really confused at this point because they're still trying to figure out whether or not they should be continuing to live under Jewish customs. And up until now, the assumption has been that they should. Peter describes all of these events to them and describes how the Gentiles at Caesarea received the Holy Spirit. And Peter's conclusion is that if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? You have to applaud the early church at this point. What Peter is saying goes against everything they've ever believed or been taught. But in Acts 11.18 it says that when they heard this they had no further objections and praised God. The first century Pharisees had dictated the strictest terms when it came to being clean and unclean. This was the culture that the early Christians were living under. And they're still trying to figure out how many of these Jewish laws they should be keeping. Later in Acts 15, they hold the Council of Jerusalem to establish this more formally. Now, I really admire the early church leaders for how they handle this season. They could be tempted to dig their heels in stubbornly and say, nope, this is how we do it. We don't eat pork, we don't eat shellfish, we don't associate with Gentiles. That's the way it is. Under the law in Leviticus 11, if you touched an animal that was considered unclean, you would be considered to have defiled yourself, to made yourself unclean. In fact, it goes further than that. If you touch something that has touched an animal that's unclean, you defile yourself, you render yourself unclean. So for Peter to dine in the home of a Gentile and a Roman centurion at that, he's essentially defiling himself, rendering himself unclean. This is a big deal culturally for these people. Yet when Peter gives his account to the early church leaders, they're open They listen to what he has to say. When these big questions are raised, they meet together to test it against Scripture. And they see that there is actually evidence in Scripture that salvation is to be for the Gentiles. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And they see the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. And they accept this as a move from God. So you could essentially sum up Acts 11 in a nutshell, being surprised by grace. Are we so accepting? Are we willing to meet people where they're at? Can we follow the example of the early Christians? Even though they'd been raised to believe this one thing, raised to believe that Gentiles were unclean, they were happy to be proven wrong. There was no exclusivity with them. Can we become a bit exclusive? Do people come into church feeling that you can only belong here if you've sorted yourself out, made yourself pure enough, polished yourself up enough? Do we intentionally or unintentionally give off that message that you have to improve yourself before you can come to Christ? Do we sometimes subconsciously give ourselves that message that we can't come into Christ's throne room until we polish ourselves, improve ourselves, fix ourselves up a bit? But no, God wants us to come with all our mess. He's not waiting for us to fix our problems before he would deign to meet with us. He actually longs for us to bring our struggles to him so that he can help us with them. And when we in humility can recognize that we are all flawed and that we come to the Father every day in our brokenness, we are healed of the prejudice that would have us expect ourselves or anyone else to fix themselves before they can come before God. Now, my boys, my two boys, love to draw me pictures that don't really look like anything much. Um, We're going to see an example in just a moment. Now, To you they might not look like much, but to me they are the most beautiful pieces of art in the whole world. Do we have our pictures here? That's all right, you can use your imaginations. Um, If anyone came to me and criticized these offerings that were made for me in love, be very, very prepared to experience my outrage and possibly my right uppercut. (laughs) When we see other people offering their best to our Father, let's champion them. Let's encourage their heart. Let's never tear down or criticise their offering. If it makes me angry as a mother when people criticise what was given to me in love, I can only imagine how that kind of attitude makes our father feel. I get very long legs in this one. Acts 10.15 says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now there's a few final take-home messages in Acts 10 and 11 that I would call Hearing from God the Paul and Cornelius Experience. Message number one is that God speaks to people who are listening. Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He took regular time out to be with God. Cornelius prayed regularly. Prayer was the precursor to hearing from God. Because prayer places us in a posture to hear God's voice. When it comes to hearing from God, you need to prepare the soil. You might recall the parable of the sower that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. A farmer sows some seed on different types of soil. Now, the seed is the word of God and our hearts are the soil. Are our hearts hard like the path, totally closed to hearing what God would say to us? Are they fertile but full of worldly distractions, too busy to prioritise time listening to God? Or are our hearts shallow like the shallow soil that never goes beyond a superficial level of faith and never gets to the deeper stuff, the deeper lessons that can be learned in time with God? Or are our hearts like the regularly tended soil, free from stones, free from weeds, and prepared and ready to hear what God would say to us, fertilised with regular time with him? Prepare the soil to be ready to hear the word of God. We prepare the soil through regular time in the word of God, regular time in prayer, and then allowing time to hear what God would say. To hear God's voice, you need to allow the time. Both Cornelius and Peter were men who took space to pray and as a a result, they got to be part of something really profound. So message number one would be God speaks to people who are listening. And message number two is that when God is moving, he places visions that are similar on the hearts of multiple people. If God is moving in something, he will be putting it on multiple people's hearts. Cornelius and Peter both received a word from God. Now, the words were very different, but they were complementary. If you heard something from God but nobody else did, I would suggest pray on it a bit more, check it against scripture and then proceed with caution because when God is preparing to do a new thing, he puts visions on the hearts of multiple people. And Peter didn't understand his vision until Cornelius arrived because God's purposes are meant to be achieved in fellowship. God's purposes are achieved in unity despite our differences. So what do we do if we've heard a word from God? Well, first we test it against scripture. Because God will never, ever give you a word that contradicts his Bible. Second, be prayerful. Humble yourself and be prepared to have your mind shifted. And third, ask yourself, does this word promote unity within the church? If not, beware. Because God will never, ever ask you to sin to achieve his purpose. And God would never ask you to go out on your own in contradiction or isolation from his church, from his bride. The encounter between Peter and Cornelius was bigger than just them. It was about more than what they could just eat. They didn't realise that in that encounter, God was bringing about a major shift in early church doctrine to pull it into line with his heart. They were simply poised to hear what God would say for that day and when they heard, they were obedient. When we position our hearts and prepare the soil, we are poised to hear from God and what he has to say might be bigger than you could imagine. Now, I'm just about finished, but before I wrap up, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at the second half of Acts. You might remember that a few weeks ago we looked at the persecution in the early church and the stoning of Stephen. Acts 11 tells us how, in the wake of this persecution, the believers were scattered throughout the region to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Cyrene. Got it. And as a result of this word, and as a result of the persecution, the word of God begins to spread. And it says in verse 21 a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Paul and Barnabas established one of the foundational missional churches in Antioch, and it's here that the early believers are first called Christians. The term Christian was actually coined as an insult, but the early Christians totally owned it. When we closed on Acts 6 and 7, we see the early church being persecuted and Stephen stoned to death. It seems like it's all gone wrong. But even in the midst of the suffering, God uses it for good. In response to the persecution, the early Christians spread out throughout the region, and as a result, the early church grows. So even in the midst of the most horrific persecution and hardship, God is still in control. We sometimes can't see what he is doing, but we can trust that he is doing something and that the season we're in is not without kingdom purpose. So if you were in that hard season, I would be encouraged by those who came before. God is still working. In Genesis 50, Joseph said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. In Romans 8:28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We're going to have a few minutes to reflect before we hear from Andrew for going forward. Maybe you can ask yourselves, what's God's issue with shellfish?
0: Um, I'm I'm in that stage of life where by having a six-year-old and a three-year-old kid, they just follow me everywhere. They just, they're, they're there. They're there, they're there, they're there, they're there. They're everywhere around me. Every time I want to take a step, they're there. I'm always, I'm always stepping on them. I don't know why. who Who's lived through that? Is it, or is it just my, okay, oh, everyone? Okay, cool. It's not just my kids that hang off me like a bad smell. I've got enough of those already. what. Um, I love it though, I love it and, and I have feed not feedback, I have comments from people um, who I know, who I don't know that come up to me and they'll look at my six-year-old and three-year-old sons and say, oh I enjoy that stage of life, it's so fun, it's so cute, I'm like yeah but I step on them all the time and I love it, I absolutely love it, don't get me wrong, I don't want to start off on a negative tone but it's, it's just always there and it's, it's great because they're hanging around me and uh, and now we have a dog too so I just get surrounded by fluffy little things and it's it's great fun but it's something that I need to be mindful of particularly when I'm pulling a lasagna out of the oven and oh hang on there's one there and trying to get over to the bench need to be cognizant of that Um, also mowing the lawn I don't know if any dads around here mums if you mow the lawn too great don't in my family it's all me oh oh, Tavi you mow the lawn do you Oh, yes. Woo. Oh, yes. A gay mower. You ever mown the lawn like this with a kid just between you and the lawnmower? And the the catch is there as well. Don't worry. They're wearing shoes. But just hunched over trying to push a lawnmower with them there. Anyway, my therapy session's over. Um, We are just in that stage of life. And it's great. I enjoy it. It's fantastic. But there's moments where I have to check my attitude. Because sometimes it is frustrating because I want to keep them safe. Like when I've got a a hot dish uh, in my hands trying to get around the kitchen. Um, So I have to work out in my heart and in my mind, how am I going to respond to this at the moment? Do I need to push them out of the way so I can get my objective done? Lasagna from oven to tabletop. Or do I work with them? Do I say, now come on, Hop out of the way, please. I need to bring that through to where I need to put it down. Or we need to mow the lawn in a straight line and we need to get it done quick. The unleaded is costing $2 a litre and we need to finish the lawn before it conks out. <laughs> I was thinking about how to, how to bring to light some stuff in Acts 10 and 11 this morning that Phoebe um, so brilliantly brought out for us and... I'm thinking about it and god it's almost like God gave me that picture of my boys and he said, that's exactly what human Christians do for me. God wants to push through his agenda. God wants to advance his kingdom through us, but often we just get in the way. And he doesn't kick us out of the way because he's a graceful God, but what he does, he patiently works with us. And there might be more mess, it might take more time, might take a few more attempts. But that's how God works through us. He moves with us, next to us, beside us, behind us, and he allows us to take our little baby steps and figure our way through life as it is. I want to pull out one um, scripture from the scripture that Phoebe shared with us this morning. Um, and that's Acts 11, 17, you did 18, you skipped over 17, thanks for saving it for me, Phoebe. Um, Acts eleven seventeen says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's Peter talking. So Peter is talking about other new Christians, Gentile Christians, guys that could touch leather and eat shellfish and they just became Christians and they're all on the same team now. They've come different avenues, same team now. And so Peter's just trying to reconcile everything that's happened in the weeks and months beforehand. It's only a couple of months before he says this, that he's watching Jesus resurrected, go up to heaven. And it's only a couple of months before this, on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit comes upon a room and thousands are saved. And it's only weeks before that where he goes um, over to Joppa, where we were learning about that last week. And he, he prays for Tabitha and she's raised to life. And so you just think of that over the space of a couple of months and he's just processing so much stuff in his mind, in his spirit. He's just going, God, hang on, hang on, I'm hanging out with Jesus for three years and then he dies and then he's resurrected and then all these significant spiritual things are happening. Imagine how, my, how blown your mind would be in that time, just trying to reconcile your own faith and your own position in the story and the narrative of the kingdom of God advancing um, in the biggest and most exceptional way ever in history and then you're trying to figure out day by day how you're responding to that and how that new relationship with the Holy Spirit inside of you, allowing people to be healed, allowing people to be saved, is just happening right before your eyes. He's just saying yes. He's just put his sail up and he's just letting the winds of God um, push him into what God wants him to do. Acts 11, 17, what could, uh, that? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? We're going to look at some other Um, translations here so the Bible's written in different ways because it was written from Greek text just so we know just so we're all clear and I'm going to give you a Greek word in a moment so that we can better understand what exactly Peter is trying to get his head around so a couple of different uh, a couple of different translations say who was I to think that I could object to God and notice the yellow text who was I to interfere or stand in God's way Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Um, Now, that's very similar to the one that we read, but Peter was saying in the NIV translation, the first one I read, that who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? ESV is saying who was I to actually stand in God's way, not just think about it, but actually stand in God's way. And what was I that I could withstand God? And the Greek word that is coming out of all that yellow is kolio. Everyone say kolio. Oh, yo, to hinder, restrain, or prevent is exactly what it means. So, this is where Peter's going. He's trying to figure out um, his position with God. He's no longer following Jesus, but it's actually God inside of him, the Holy Spirit actually push him, pushing him forward. It's like God's just kind of come behind him through the Holy Spirit, coming from a different angle. And actually, it's now Peter doing the work of God. He was learning for a few years, and now it's him pushing forward, promoting the kingdom. And so he's probably still scratching his head as to his place in all of it. And I think about the power that is inside of him, as I'm sure he was doing in that moment, going, What is going on with these healing hands, this prophetic mind, this life-speaking tongue that is now in me because of the Holy Spirit? And I've read it somewhere um, and I've heard somewhere on podcasts as well that scientists believe that we use only 10% of our brain's capacity. No. (laughs) What do you use, Jase, 11 Oh, really? Okay. Well, we'll ask your wife if you do use 10% of your brain. Well, that might be lowered down. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I think you're preaching next week, Jace. so that you can rebut then. But now, all right, enjoy your new seat and your coffee uh, and your 11% of brain power. We look forward to a really highly charged preach from Mr. 11% next week. Anyway. But I often wonder, if we're only using 10% of our brain, how much of our spirit are we allowing God to use? How much barriers are we putting on ourselves through our sin, through our fallenness, through our humanity? And how much are we limiting God? Because I read the scriptures. They say the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Romans 8.1. And, and we see that that will uh, come to pass. It doesn't have any conditions on it. It doesn't say that the apostles will have that power. It doesn't say that a preacher will have that power. It doesn't say that a prophet um, will have that power. It doesn't say because it's open to anyone. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, not them, not us, you, everyone, everyone who wants the power of God in them. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Do you believe that you can do anything that Jesus did because you you say it in the name of Jesus? Yeah? Well, the scriptures say that. We can. But how much limitations are we putting on that through our own doubts, our own humanness, our own sinfulness, our own brokenness? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, that in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 it says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run not walk run as fast as we can with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith it's not us that perfects our faith It's Christ in us that perfects our faith as long as we allow him to do it, as long as we submit to him and we cast off our sin that so easily entangles and we say, God, how can you help me? I just want to do your work. I just want to be part of something bigger. I just want to be part of your kingdom advancing. Now, I don't care if the boys are in my way. I really don't. I actually love it. Actually, I really do. I don't care if it takes me three times the amount of time to complete a task around the house it's great I had them sanding um, some timber yesterday with electric sanders I did the risk assessment it's fine it's all good they uh, no, no, they've still got heaps of skin left on their knees it's fine it's all good there was no blood but skin came off but there was risk there and they were happy to jump right in and I wanted to help them and I was right there I wasn't I wasn't holding the sander for them I had I had them all trained up I had the earmuffs on I had the safety glasses on they were there they weren't wearing shoes they weren't no they weren't wearing shoes but anyway it was fine because it was really blunt um, fine sandpaper what I allowed them to do was just learn as they went and it took a long time but I loved seeing them figure it out for themselves And I find that in my own life, God has allowed me to just figure it out for myself, no matter how long I'm taking to get things done. You know, that's exactly what he wants for us. He doesn't want to do it for us. He wants to do it with us. He wants to advance his kingdom with us. Um, but we often put our anchor down and we keep our sail in and we don't allow God to um, to move through us. We often just stay in the harbour and we overthink things. If God says, says to us, well, why don't you jump on kids ministry or why don't you start up a connect group? And we go, mm, no, nah, I just don't know. We overthink it. But we should be saying yes, we should be putting our sail up and going, you know what, God, I don't know, I don't have the answers, but I'll figure out the answers while I'm doing it, not before I do it. Because the best way to figure out answers is to get into it and and figure it out. Like Lani said this morning, we've got a brand new room here. We don't have a phone that's working, but we're figuring it out as we go. We're not going to call off church because we have these things that aren't happening the way we foresee them. We're just going to get into it and fix it as we go. And that's how we should be living our faith. There's three ways that we can get um, in God's way and three ways that we can um, allow him to move through us. The first one is through our thoughts. Um, We don't want to be thinking in the natural. We don't want to be looking at problems and thinking, how do we fix that? We want to be looking at a problem and seeing God in that. We want to be like Hebrews 12:1 says, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. How often are we looking for angels in the presence of God? How often are we thinking uh, when we walk into our problems that God is with us? How often are we thinking that there's people in heaven, that there's people in our church praying for us as we go in about our life? People in our connect group, people in our family who are just praying for God to be present with us in every day. Do you stop and have a look? Do you stop and have a think about that? You know, Peter was just figuring it out, but he knew that God was with him in all of that. And he may have been trying to figure it out, but it was his job to convince others that God was with him. And so he just did that, even as he was trying to figure out how God was with him and he was trying to work out the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. He just kept going at it and he kept moving and he just kept in line with Jesus. The second thing I wanted to talk about was Um, Sin. Sin holds us back from God uh, working through us. We need to keep an upright heart. And Psalm 18, 28 to 29 says, You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. Keep my faith strong. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. With my God. God is with us. God helps us through our problems. God wants to um, turn our darkness into light. God wants to um, remove the sin that so easily entangles us. And I know sin's a yucky word. I know it's awful to wrestle with, but it's just part of being human. And if we're to wrestle with our sin, we become more godly, more divine, more allowable for God to use, utilise us in what we do. The third thing we can do to help God move through us is to use our resources or what I like to call our personal commodities. This might be the hardest one. Like I, I find that I'm okay with confessing my sin. Harder when you confess it to someone else, but I'm okay with coming to God and confessing my sin. It's private and it's so good for the soul. You feel so good after you confess your sin. But this one, giving time, effort, money to the kingdom of God, that's hard. I totally know that. And you feel that too. And can I just publicly say thank you, everyone, for tithing, for offering, for giving time, for, give, for volunteering on teams, for getting your working with children checks done before you get onto the teams. Oh, it's not always fun, but it's always worth it, amen? Yeah, it's always worth it, being part of a team. I want to I just um, tell you a story, and we're just going to focus on giving for a couple of minutes, if you don't mind. A couple of years ago... Eight years ago um, Phoebe and I before children we moved to Melbourne we moved for her work and uh, and I was pretty excited for a new opportunity (laughs) that opportunity took a while it took a couple of months for me to find the right job I, I applied for 98 jobs over the space of a couple of months which isn't uncommon which isn't uncommon unfortunately So one day I was with a friend. A friend was visiting um, Melbourne, a good Christian friend, and he decided that because I was unemployed and I'd I'd applied for the jobs that day, that we'd go to the cinemas. So he said it was his shout and it was great. So we walk up to the counter at Hoyts and we're lining up and I'm just waiting for the next person in front of me and there's $300 on the ground, six pineapples, $300 just there. Someone had dropped 300 bucks. And I, I look at it and go, hmm, I could do with that. I'm unemployed. Oh, it was flat broke, absolutely flat broke, having moved into state and a couple of weeks of no uh, income and whatever else, flat broke. And I pick it up and the Spirit of God says, hand it in. I'm like, oh, it's 300 bucks, God. Do the maths, God. It's 300 bucks. I can do that. That's rent, half of rent. Anyway, that's a bit of rent for me. Like this is, I need this. And uh, I hand it over to the counter and say, hey, um, if no one claims this, here's my number. (laughs) Yeah, it was dumb, wasn't it? Um, In the natural, but I listened to God in that moment. And um, I thought, oh, God, I'm sacrificed here. Could you please hear me a prayer? I want a job. The next day, interview for two jobs. The day after that, I get two jobs, which is so cool. And one pays 10 grand more. And am like, oh, that, that's pretty handy. That, that outweighs the 300 bucks. Thanks, God. That's fantastic. God says, take the other one. Like, hey, God, take the other one. Thank you, God, for answering my prayer. And twice, because you are given me two jobs. But take the other one. Like, anyway, so I, I don't know why. I told Phoebe, she's like, I don't know why, but you're using 9% of your brain. I'll trust you. And part of your spirit <laughs> will go with that. And, um... And we lived in Melbourne for six years. I stayed with that company for six years. What I experienced in that, I got more pay rise, but it's not about the pay rise. I got incredible network of people, some of of who are my closest friends today. I was able to influence a workplace because of my faith. And I actually got training that was world class that's helped me in my next job which is here at the chapel which as I look back I think God how amazing is that that because I just decided not to take a found $300 because I decided that in that moment I would choose you it's changed my whole path it's given me opportunity more than what I could have thought or felt after pay rises and promotions and a skill set that I wouldn't have got anywhere else and people I wouldn't have got anywhere else, because I decided to listen to God um, to make that financial decision to not pick up that 300 bucks. Now why I raised this with you all this morning is that God can use our income and expenses, God can use our time, God can use our energy in very different ways. He did that with the disciples. They just gave up their jobs. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. All right. I don't understand that job description. What does it pay? Nothing. Okay. But you're the son of God, Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God. So I'm going to follow you. Three years later, they're part of the biggest narrative, the the biggest turning point in history, the biggest spread of the gospel that changes the course of humanity because they said yes with their time, because they said yes with not generating an income by pulling fish out and being doctors and being tax collectors and those, just those 12 guys and then the 72 and then everyone else who followed suit, who thought that they would give their life to Jesus. And as we read in Acts, there's community of believers just giving of everything. Now, I'm not saying give everything today, but I'm saying give your heart today. Give all of your heart today and if that means a little bit of time to the church or the kingdom of God, if that means a little bit of money, if that means a little bit of effort for the kingdom of God, it is always worth it. It's always worth it to be a part of God's kingdom and I can attest that this particular church community, the Chapel Collective, is doing fantastic things as Lani prayed this morning. We've had baptisms in water. We've had baptisms in the Holy Spirit. We've had salvations and rededications this month. God is working in this congregation. God is working through this congregation. People are coming in. People are finding him. The narrative of the gospel of Christ continues in Tamworth today. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be a part of that life? Do you want to be a part of what God is doing through our congregation and through his people throughout this great place we call Tamworth, New South Wales, Australia, the world? It is very exciting. And so worship team, if you'd like to come up, I want to read you something from Habakkuk 1.5. It's not on the slide, but bear with me. God says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. So God wants to remind us of that this morning, that if we're positioned for him, if we're ready to say yes, if we've got our sail up and our anchor up, and we're saying, God, use me, use us, whatever way you want, whatever way you want, he will. He will. Because he's waiting for us to put our sails up and pull our anchors up. We don't know where we're going to go all the time. We might have an idea. We don't know about the crew that we're going to have. We might have an idea. But God will work through us and he will just put the momentum in our ministry and in the relationships that we hold and in the serving that we do and in the money that we give and in the time that we invest. God sees that and he says, I see that. But what about what you're seeing? Do you see that I'm going to do something in the nations? Why don't you watch and be utterly amazed at what I can do? Because I'm going to do things that you're not even going to believe, even if I tell you. And so if you if you if you want to sign up for that today, we're going to have a prayer team right here in the moment. If you're thinking, I don't I know my next step. I know what I'm meant to do. I know what God's telling me to do. But just holding the sail in and the anchor down, that's totally fine because it's okay to think about what we want to do or how we're going to do it or wrestle with God around it. But the one thing that we need to do is just say, yeah, sail's up God, whatever happens, I'm in, I'm in, anchor's up, I'm in. So I'm going to pray to close and if you want to take that next step, whether it's a baptism in the spirit this morning if it's baptism in the pool we've got it in the, te- in the auditorium right here I'll get in with you if you want to be baptised today I will get in with you and we'll do it together in front of all the believers here we're going to pray now Father God we thank you so much that we get to outlive this story like we read Peter just going how can I stand against you how can I oppose you how can I get in your way God just God, just use us. Do things that we wouldn't even foresee, that we wouldn't even fathom. Lord, we just want to take a moment this morning to say our sails are up and our anchors up and we're ready to go. Just blow some wind into us and, and we'll be, we're, we're so keen for, to see what you are going to do. May you allow us to be amazed once more. It's the Holy Spirit. Help us to see what our next step is, whether it's a a lead role, whether it's a volunteer position, whether it's um, money here, there or anywhere, whether it's time, whether it's effort, whether it's relationship, whether it's um, casting off sin, whether it's thinking more about you in the ordinary every day. Father, we just lift it up to you and ask (coughs) ask that you will take it on. We ask this only for your glory and in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks.